Well, good morning. Good morning. All right, I got it right. I'm still the new guy, but thank you. Uh, <laughs> it's great to be back with you this week. We are coming to our second week in our study on Christian conversion. And this morning we're going to look at the life of Saul, who would later become the Apostle Paul. And we're going to look at this unlikely convert who was transformed on the road to Damascus. A familiar story to you if you've been uh, taught the Bible. But just so you know where we're going, next week we're going to look at 2 Corinthians 3 and 4, which will give us a theology of conversion from the Apostle Paul himself. So that will be the end of our series next week, and then Pastor Matt will be back to take us back to 1 Peter chapter 4. So as we start this morning, let's recall the definition of conversion that we, w- we looked at last week from Michael Lawrence. He says, conversion is God's work of giving us new hearts that repent and believe the gospel. Conversion is God's work of giving us new hearts that repent and believe the gospel. Last week we watched the conversion of the Ethiopian eunuch, you recall, in Acts chapter 8, who was a humble seeker, but this week we look at the life of Saul, who is a hostile man converted on his way to destroy Christians. His name is Saul. He would one day be the Apostle Paul, who was the Apostle to the Gentiles. And uh, his conversion story is recorded three times in the book of Acts, and it's recorded by himself many other times in the New Testament. First Timothy, as we read, uh, Philippians 3, and Galatians 1 also talks about his conversion story. Uh, it's a little bit of an understatement to say that his life and his conversion is significant for the furtherance of the gospel. Uh, what seems to be the theme as we look at the book of Acts is that conversion Um, is such a radical thing. It it transforms us at the root. When Jesus steps into our life, he changes the whole trajectory. When Jesus steps into our life, he changes the whole trajectory of our life. And this is truly what happens in the life of the Apostle Paul. So would you turn with me in your Bibles to Acts chapter 9. It's on page 917 in the Pew Bibles in front of you. We're going to read from verses 1 to 25 together. And as we're turning there, or as you're turning there, would you stand with me as we read this portion together? Acts chapter 9, verses 1 to 25. It says in verse 1, But Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus. So that if he found any belonging to the way, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Now as he went on his way, he approached Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven shone around him. And falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, Who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But rise and enter the city, and you will be told what you are to do. The men who were traveling with him stood speechless, hearing the voice but seeing no one. Saul rose from the ground, and although his eyes were opened, he saw nothing. So they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. And for three days he was without sight, and neither ate nor drank. Now there was a disciple at Damascus named Ananias. The Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias! Ananias! 
And he said, Here am I, Lord. And the Lord said to him, Rise and go to the street called Straight, and at the house of Judas look for a man of Tarsus named Saul, for behold, he is praying. And he has seen in a vision a man named Ananias come in and lay hands, his hands on him so that he might regain his sight. But Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many about this man, how much evil he has done to your saints at Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priest to bind all who call on your name. But the Lord said to him, Go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. For I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. So Ananias departed and entered, to the, to, entered the house. And laying his hands on him, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road by which you came has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately something like scales fell from his eyes and he regained his sight. Then he rose and was baptized. And taking food, he was strengthened. For some days he was with the disciples at Damascus, and immediately he proclaimed Jesus in the synagogues, saying, He is the Son of God. And all who heard him were amazed and said, Is not this the man who made havoc in Jerusalem of those who called upon this name? And has he not come here for this purpose, to bring them bound before the chief priests? But Saul increased all the more in strength and confounded the Jews who lived in Damascus by proving that Jesus was the Christ. When many days had passed, the Jews plotted to kill him. But their plot became known to Saul. They were watching the gates day and night in order to kill him. But his disciples took him by night and let him down through an opening in the wall, lowering him in a basket. Let's take a moment to pray. Father, open our eyes, open our hearts to receive and believe your word today and give us grace to love Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. In this epic passage, we see the encountering of Saul to Christ and we see that that encounter changes him at his core. Because truly meeting Jesus makes us new people. Truly meeting Jesus makes us new people. I believe this happens to Saul in this passage. As it begins, it shows us how Saul's heart is. It shows us what characterizes his life. And we see what his life is like before Christ. Saul, his, his old life, was opposing Christ. It says in verse 1, But Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest. Last week we saw the life of a humble man, a seeker who's sincerely after God, reading the scripture and humbly asking for guidance from Isaiah 53. We come now to a life in great contrast to that in the very next chapter. This man is a religious bad man on a power trip to destroy Christians. Philippians 3 shows us his credentials, and they're impressive. He was trained by the best, Gamaliel. He had an unwavering resolve for religion. He was zealous. He was, as we heard in 1 Timothy 1, he was a blasphemer. He was persecutor of the church. He was trained by the best. He had an unwavering resolve for religion. 
He was using his power and his influence as a religious leader to destroy others. He thought he was serving God by destroying Christians. The irony. He was something like a modern-day terrorist on a mission to destroy. And Acts has already spoken of this Saul in chapter 8. We see he's wreaking havoc against the young church, dragging men and women out of their homes and committing them to prison. He's the reason that families are torn apart. He's responsible for destroying lives. He's a heartless man who even gave approval to the stoning of Stephen, which would be a stoning more like of boulders. Now his, his, now his story comes into close focus in chapter 9, where we see that he's seething mad with threats and threats are on his breath and murder is on his mind. He puts a plan together to put an end to these disciples of Jesus. He's had enough of their Jesus talk. A disciple is another word for a learner. All disciples or Christians are learners of Christ. We're lifetime learners, aren't we? Continuing to learn of Christ. Now how does Saul plan to end these Christians? How does he want to put them to the end? He plans his power play and seeks approval from the big guy, the highest authority he knew, the high priest. Verse 2, he asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus so that if he found any belonging to the way, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Saul wants letters from the high priest, which would be something like getting warrants for the arrest of Christians. He wants an authoritative letter so that he can drag them out and bring them bound to Jerusalem. The high priest was the head of the Jewish state, and he had authority on internal Jewish matters. And Saul wants his approval for his mission so he can go to Damascus and apprehend the Christians. He doesn't want anyone interfering with his plans, so he's going to get some legal documents to make sure it happens. And he wants to arrest these Christians. So he asks the high priest for approval. As this is happening underneath in his heart, hatred is fueling his plan to go to Damascus. He even says later in chapter 26 with his, with his testimony there, he says this, Many a time I went from one synagogue to another to have them punished, and I tried to force them to blaspheme. I was so obsessed with persecuting them that I even hunted them down in foreign cities. This man is hell-bent to destroy Christians. It doesn't matter if they're men or women. The brutality. If he sees you belonging to the way, he's going to take you bound to Jerusalem. There's nothing that's going to stop his mission. Well, it looks like the early Christian church is in deep trouble and in great danger. God is in control and He's about to intervene in history in a powerful way. He's about to transform this notorious opponent of Christ and His church. The early Christians were known as those belonging to the way. Probably because they belonged to Jesus who is the way to salvation Jesus is the way to life, and Jesus is the way to the God of heaven. And in this passage, 
heaven itself breaks through with an unexpected roadblock to Saul. And Jesus brings his plans to a screeching halt. He was opposing Christians, but he'd soon find out that opposing Christians is really opposing Christ himself. And Christ tells him that, as we'll see in a few moments. The Almighty God interferes with Saul's mission, and he comes to realize that he isn't in control of his life like he thought. Rather, God is. God is Almighty, not Saul. The man who is on his way to arrest Christians will be arrested by the merciful Christ himself. Saul's life is changed by meeting Christ. That's what we see in verse 3. Now as he went on his way, he approached Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven shone around him. Saul sees a light from heaven. In chapter 6, he describes this light as being brighter than the sun. That light breaks through all around him, and the brightness transcends even the sun in Syria. My brother, is the sun in Syria bright? Yes, okay. (laughs) He says it's brighter than the sun, this light from heaven. He's caught off guard by it, and he's overwhelmed by this light as he falls to the ground. What does he see? If you skip down to verse 17, we read that the Lord Jesus appeared to him. We'll spend more time on this theme next week, but suffice it to say, Saul got more than his eyes could handle as the light of Christ blinded him. (laughs) Light blinded him. The brightness made him not able to see. He was blinded by the glory of Christ. God in His sovereign power breaks this hateful man down and humbled him deeply. But then to add to the intensity of the moment, he now hears a voice asking him. Verse 4, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. Uh Uh-oh. Saul is confronted with his sin by the Lord himself. Caught red-handed. He meets Jesus and is questioned on what he's doing persecuting Jesus. One thing that we can't miss in the story of Saul and his life and his conversion is that nobody is too far gone for Jesus. Nobody. Saul is made new. He's on his way to destroy Christians, breathing hatred, and his mind is set on murder. But Jesus makes him new. In spite of his sin, Jesus saves him. Friend, what about you? Have you met Christ? Has he changed your life and made you new? Has he spoken to your conscience? Has he changed your heart? Have you repented and believed the gospel? Is he speaking to your heart today? If you are here and you're not yet a Christian, It's okay. You're in a safe place. This is a loving community of people that will be here to help you explore this thing called Christianity. You might say, yeah, but I'm looking at the text and I'm clearly not as bad as Saul. I mean, I don't hate Christians. I even give to charity and give to churches. Why do I need Jesus or Christianity? 
The short answer is because of your sin. What is sin? One definition of it says sin is rejecting or ignoring God in the world He created. Not being or doing what He requires in His law. Have you kept God's law? Have you ever rejected or ignored God? That's called sin. And God Himself knows all the secrets of your heart. He knows about the wrongs that you've covered and the ones that have gone public. He knows about your premeditated sins and your impulsive sins. The God of the Bible is omniscient, which means He is all-knowing. Which means you can't fool Him. He knows you're a sinner. The question is, do you? Here's the good news. Jesus came into this world to die for our sins. Jesus actually came into this world to rescue sinners. I love what Richard Sibbs, a Puritan, says, there is more grace in Christ than sin in us. Oh, grace that is greater than all our sin. Christ came into the world to die for sinners, then He rose from the dead. If you turn and believe in Christ, He promises eternal life. He... My non-Christian friend, the most loving thing I can tell you today is that you must turn from your sin and trust in Christ. It may sound hard, but it is the truth. And Jesus Himself is the truth. He cannot lie. He says He will give eternal life to all who believe in Him. If you want to learn more about this, fill out a connection card. I'd love to follow up with you and talk a little more about this. But what you need to know is that there's nothing more worthy of your consideration today, here and now, than meeting Christ in a saving relationship. That is so important. Now after meeting Jesus, Saul is commanded on what to do, which helps him in making sense of this new life. He's making sense of the new life. Verse 6, But rise and enter the city, and you will be told what you are to do. The men who were traveling with him stood speechless, hearing the voice, but seeing no one. Saul rose from the ground, and although his eyes were opened, he saw nothing. So they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. And for three days he was without sight, and neither ate nor drank. God is sovereignly orchestrating events for Saul right now. Meanwhile, Saul is shocked and blinded by the light of Christ. For three days, he's reflecting and recovering from the traumatic encounter he had with Christ. He's blind for three days without sight. Some wonder if this light permanently affected his sight for the rest of his life. Maybe. As shocking as a light from heaven must be, I've never seen one, but it must be shocking. Conversion is such a shocking thing that it takes time for us to put together, doesn't it? We start to put pieces together and we start to sort it out. We need time. Can you relate to that? Maybe he had a wounded conscience like I did and maybe you did when you were converted. Maybe he spent time praying and confessing his sin. Listen to Charles Spurgeon as he explains what a wounded conscience under conviction of sin is like. Spurgeon says, 
For the most part, a wounded conscience, like a wounded stag, delights to be alone that it may bleed in secret. It is very hard to get at a man under conviction of sin. He retires so far into himself that it is impossible to follow him. Can you relate? Trying to put the pieces together after your conversion? You retire so far into yourself, it's almost impossible to follow you. Saul is now a new creation, friends. He's, he's also got a new community which will help him to make sense of this new life. Not only does God give him a new heart and give us new hearts when we're converted, when we become Christians, he also gives us a new family. The Christian church becomes our new community. We see that in verses 10 through 12. Now there was a disciple at Damascus named Ananias. The Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias. And he said, Here I am, Lord. And the Lord said to him, Rise and go to the street called Straight, and at the house of Judas look for a man of Tarsus named Saul. For behold, he is praying. And he has seen in a vision a man named Ananias come in and lay his hands on him so that he may regain his sight. God once again is breaking into history and breaking into people's lives. Ananias is given a vision and is told to meet someone named Saul who was praying. The Lord reveals to Saul at some point that this Ananias will come and lay hands on him and help him regain his sight. To lay hands on someone has a great picture. It's a picture of associating with them or commissioning them. So Ananias is being commanded by God to associate with a man who was seeking to destroy Christians like him. And not only that, but commission him for service to this God. <laughs> Can you imagine processing this command? Um, you want me to go commission who? Saul? <laughs> this appeared to be a dangerous command to obey for Ananias. But because he didn't know, that's, that was just because he didn't know that Saul had been converted. Jesus had made opponents family. Later in verse 17, Ananias will actually call Saul his brother. Their family. Ananias does, does have one rebuttal for the Lord, but God has given Saul a new reputation. And we see that in verses 13 through, uh, through 16. But Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many about this man, how much evil he has done to your saints at Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priest to bind all who call on your name. Ananias has a legitimate argument of self-defense. <laughs> oh Lord, Saul is a dangerous man with evil on his track record. I've heard of him. But God had changed the narrative of his life. And the Lord says in verse 15, Go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel, for I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. Saul the persecutor becomes Paul the apostle. A man who was once a tool in Satan's hands is now a chosen instrument in the Redeemer's hands. Ananias says, but Lord, he's dangerous. The Lord says, go, I've saved him. He's a new man. Church family, if Christ accepts someone, they are our family regardless of their past. 
We are all recipients of the free grace of God in Christ. And may we never look down our nose at other people because of their past. The ground is level at the foot of the cross, isn't it? Rosaria Butterfield, maybe some of you have heard of her, a former professor of queer theory at Syracuse University. Herself, a woman who lived as a lesbian, recalls her conversion to Christ by saying this, My new affection was not heterosexuality, but Jesus. I was converted not out of homosexuality, but out of unbelief. Jesus changes the heart and makes us brand new people, doesn't he? Jesus calls us out of darkness into his marvelous light. Our greatest sin is unbelief in the gospel. My Christian friend, if Christ has saved you and chosen you, you have a new reputation and a new identity. Though you may remember your dark past and you may have deep regrets and even wounds of shame, your Savior has given you a new heart. You have a new reputation and a new identity now. While you can't clear the history of your life, once Christ saved you by His grace, you are His. He gives you a new identity. You are now identified with Christ as a member of His body. You are the object of His love. You are His cherished bride. You have a new reputation. There is no condemnation for you. Saul has a new reputation. Saul has a new mission. He's going to take the name of Jesus to the Gentile world. He's going to take Jesus' name to the far reaches of the world. He'd later be known as the Apostle to the Gentiles. He will bring the Gospel to kings in high authority and even to people in the Jewish heritage. He's a chosen instrument. When Jesus changes us, not only do we receive a new reputation, but we also receive a new power. Verse 17, So Ananias departed and entered the house. And laying his hands on him, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road by which you came has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Ananias lays hands on Saul and he regains his sight. Ananias associates Saul with Jesus and commissions him for his service. He is filled with the Holy Spirit which uniquely empowers him for the mission. He's now given a new power from God on high for his mission. And for this, the Holy Spirit is absolutely necessary. (laughs) If you read the book of Acts, you see all the things Paul goes through, he desperately needed the Holy Spirit, as do we. A few weeks ago, I was at a citywide ministry meeting with uh, fellow youth pastors and youth leaders, and there was a man there from a different church and a different church background, and uh, I told him I was a pastor at a Baptist church, and I could see that he was mustering up some courage to ask me a question, and uh, as he he did, he he said to me, uh, as a Baptist pastor... Do you believe in the Holy Spirit? He kind of gave me a suspicious look as he said that. (laughs) So I took a minute, and I knew where he was going with this, so I said, I assured him, I said, listen, I am a Baptist pastor, and I absolutely believe in the Holy Spirit. Still looking suspicious, I gave him more. 
I said, I believe that the Holy Spirit is God, that He opens our heart, that He empowers us for His mission, and He gives us fruit that changes our life. And after that, I think He actually believed me, though I don't, I don't know what category of Baptist He would put me in. <laughs> well, even us as Baptists believe in the Holy Spirit, don't we? And our belief is proven by our dependence on Him in prayer, in service, in one anothering one another. Church members, can I ask you to pray for the elders and the pastors and the trustees and your leadership here at the church? We need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. We need to be filled with the Holy Spirit every day. Reminds me of the story when Spurgeon was asked why the great success of his ministry. His answer is short and memorable. He says, my people pray for me. Successful ministry. How, thousands of people come into Christ. What is, what is the reason? My people pray for me. If we are going to do any good in this community and in this church as your leaders, we desperately need the Holy Spirit. Without Him, we can do nothing truly honoring to God. Our mission to worship God, to grow together and serve others is impossible without the Holy Spirit. We need Him. The Great Commission is far beyond us, and we need God's Spirit to empower us daily for the work of loving, leading, preaching, praying, and shepherding God's flock. So we need the Spirit Himself to fill us, because our mission is greater than us, as was Saul's. Though I am new here, I have been around the elders of this church and I have been very encouraged by how these men are humble men filled with the Holy Spirit who love Christ and hate their sin. And so continue, church members, please, to pray for us leaders that we be filled with the Holy Spirit and empowered for His mission. Now that Paul, Saul, has received a new power, Saul gets a new vision, verses 18-19. through 19. And immediately something like scales fell from his eyes and he regained his sight. Then he rose and was baptized. And taking food, he was strengthened. For some days he was with the disciples at Damascus. Saul's vision is recovered. Something like scales fall from his eyes. These scales are some sort of flaky substance. He regains his sight. Then he gets baptized. And then he goes to his first potluck. I can hear all the Baptists in the crowd saying, see, Paul was a Baptist. <laughs> okay, maybe not. But maybe. But imagine this was, I, I can imagine that this was quite a celebration. Can you imagine the conversation after this man is baptized? So Saul, what brought you to Damascus? Oh, I was going to arrest you Christians. I'm sure this baptism was a day of celebration and also relief for these Christians. As Saul was publicly declaring, my old man is dead, I have been buried with Christ, and I am made new in Christ. He was a new creature. Then he stays with these disciples for some days, regaining strength. Maybe they were sharing conversion stories with one another, like some of us did at our small groups this past week. Doesn't it just thrill your heart to hear how other people have met Jesus? <laughs> Doesn't it motivate our faith to hear how others have fallen in love with Him? 
I was at a small group this past week, and uh, as I was leaving, I thought, this is so good for my soul. Hearing conversion story after conversion story from fellow church members brought such joy to my heart. Fellowship with believers is essential for our growth as it was for Saul. He needed the Christians to help console him, encourage him, and prepare him for this new life and this new mission. Again, Rosaria, Rosaria Butterfield in her book called Openness Unhindered talks about fellowship and the necessity of it for Christians. She says this, Loyal fellowship of believers is not an add-on to good doctrine. Fellowship of believers is often the vein through which the Savior's blood pumps us whole and well. Christian, how can you go deeper in your fellowship with Christ? How can you go deeper in your fellowship with these believers? Don't be doing Jesus on your own and just living as a rogue. Have you been baptized? Do you love this community? If so, commit yourself to us and join this church. Become a member here. We need one another. Fellowship with one another is one of the means by which Jesus strengthens us as Christians. After being baptized and spending time with fellow Christians, Saul moves out on a new mission. Verse 20. And immediately he proclaimed Jesus in the synagogue, saying, He is the Son of God. And all who heard him were amazed and said, Is not this the man who made havoc in Jerusalem of those who called upon this name? And has he not come here for this purpose, to bring them bound before the chief priests? But Saul increased all the more in strength and confounded the Jews who lived in Damascus by proving that Jesus was the Christ. There is so much irony in Saul's conversion. What's he doing? He's fulfilling his mission. It's a new mission. Remember, Saul was originally coming to these synagogues with warrants for the arrest of Christians. Now he's going to those very synagogues to tell those people that Jesus is the Son of God because he had become a Christian. He's going proving that Jesus is the Messiah, the Christ. And he does so with the Old Testament Scriptures. <laughs> it's like, does Saul have a death wish here? What, does he know what he's doing? Yes, he's very aware. He's passionate about Jesus because Jesus had saved his life. Isn't this typical of new Christians? They are full of zeal to tell people about Christ. Isn't it contagious to be around new Christians as they tell us about those that they got to share the gospel with? But what is happening here is that people around Saul can't quite believe their eyes. Can it really be Saul? Can it really be so? Is this the same person that we know? The Christians who were afraid of him now experience family fellowship with him. Just as Galatians 1 says, they only were hearing it said, he who used to persecute us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy. And they glorified God because of me. The Christians aren't naive. They know of Paul's past. But they can see that God broke into his life and it gives them reason to praise God. But now the Jews who he was with before are now against him. Though Saul's mission was a unique apostolic mission, us as Christians, we all have a mission as well, don't we? Paul would later call all of us in 2 Corinthians 5 ambassadors for Christ. We have a mission 
of reconciliation to the world. We are representatives of heaven and we tell people how to be reconciled to God through Christ. We tell people around us this good news. And so we have a mission. Saul had a mission and so do we. Now it's obvious to see in, life, in Saul's life that he has a new loyalty. Jesus is his Lord. And with that comes a new opposition. Verses 23 to 25. When many days had passed, the Jews plotted to kill him. But their plot became known to Saul. They were watching the gates day and night in order to kill him. But his disciples took him by night and let him down through an opening in the wall, lowering him in a basket. This narrative turns full circle now. The man who came with authority from the Jews to arrest Christians is now an unashamed Christian himself. Now those he used to run with are now his opponents. The religious leaders that he once was a part of turned on him and now they're conspiring to kill him. (laughs) Oh, the drama of Paul's life. And as they keep watch on him night and day, God in his providence makes this plan known to Saul. And the new community of believers that he belongs to actually help him and they let him go in a basket so that he can escape. He exits the city in a hamper. And this is just the start of the amazing story of Saul, an unlikely convert. Some of you know the cost and the opposition of becoming a Christian very seriously and very personally. Some of your parents have disowned you. Some of your friends have labeled you as intolerant. Maybe you've missed out on a promotion at work. Maybe you've been bullied for your loyalty to Christ. Know that God knows your pain. And He keeps all your tears in a bottle, Psalm 56 says. Christ knows the pain Himself of being abandoned by His family and misrepresented by opposition. Though meeting Jesus makes us new people and it is a wonderful thing, it doesn't bring us into a trouble-free life. In fact, as we've seen in Saul's life, obeying Christ may bring immediate opposition. Paul would later write in 2 Timothy, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. And if you're a Jesus-loving student here, and you want to reach your friends for Christ on campus, I just want to tell you, you can expect opposition. You're going to get it. You may not be dragged away and thrown into jail for your faith, but you may be left out of group events, gossiped about behind your back. You may be publicly embarrassed or made to feel stupid for your belief in God and in Jesus. Count the cost. But if Jesus has saved you and you want your friends to know Him, then love them and share this good news with them regardless. Expect opposition, but he who is able to save Saul is also able to save those who oppose us. This man Saul would later write the famous book of Romans. And in that book there's a phrase which says, I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes. Don't wait from light from heaven, or don't wait for light from heaven to meet Jesus. It is through the gospel that people meet Jesus today. And when people meet Jesus, he makes them new people 
with new hearts that repent and believe the gospel. Do you believe that? Church family, let's be a people who love the gospel. Let's be a people that cherish the gospel. Let's be a people that continue to sing the marvelous themes of the gospel. Let's be people who believe the gospel. Let's pray that people would trust in the gospel. Let's put all our confidence in the gospel. Let's freely offer the gospel to anyone and everyone. For the gospel is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we pray that your gospel would be working in our hearts now by your Holy Spirit. We pray that people would learn of Christ, love Him, look to Him, and believe the gospel today. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.